The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. We are now joined by a very special guest, a longtime friend of the podcast. Last time we had him on, he was grinding in high A. Now he's hitting 500-foot nukes and in the show for the Texas Rangers. It's my pleasure to welcome Sam Huff to the Officially Unofficial Podcast. What's up, big dog? It's good to be back, I'll tell you that. That, you know what? I'm fired up to get you back on because the last time we had you on, it was like you were grinding in it. I think you were in high A. I, I'm not sure, but so much has happened since you made the show. You're all over fucking social media hitting these 500-foot home runs, so we got to dive into all that stuff. But let's go into the debut because obviously you kind of have a weird story with the debut. You debuted in front of no one. No one was there, right? No family, yeah. no friends, no fans. Kind of weird. Where were you when you found out you were making the show? And how weird was that for you to just go from double A just to the show? So it was, I mean, I remember talking to you about it. We were, uh, we talked a little bit in high A and then when I was in taxi, we did the podcast and it was during COVID. So no one was there. And so I think it was like a month in, we had like a month left. It was during our our COVID stretch and we were technically could have been playoff bound. And then it, everything fell apart and some guys got hurt and it just was unfortunate, you know, Kluber going down after his first inning of his debut with the Rangers with a shoulder injury. And then I remember I was in, we we're in Waxahachie, Texas. When I got the call, it was like 12 o'clock at night. Jose Trevino was having some issues with his hand and ended up having some handmade issues. And so they, I didn't really think of anything. It was like during the game, Jeff Mathis came in to like pick him up. And I was just kind of, uh, you know, like, I hope Jose's good. Like I, I'm really good friends with him. Like I was actually more concerned towards his health because it was like, at that point I was like, I don't know what I was doing. I was just in taxi hitting and catching. So I get a call like 12 at night by one of our coaches, Bobby Wilson. And he, he calls me, he's like, Hey buddy, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm about to go to sleep, Bobby. What do you need? And he's like, Oh, well, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, I plan on coming in at like 5am. Cause we have to be off, off the field by like 
11 or 12 for the big league guys. He's like, oh, well, you're not practicing with us tomorrow, buddy. You're going to the show. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so we, he, him and I kind of exchanged some words. We kind of were – it was a little emotional because he was with me on the journey and, like, how hard I was working and how he knew how hard I was working and exchanged some, like, some more words. And then the JD called me and told me that – they're excited and they're ready to have me up there. And next day I didn't, I got a lot of sleep for some reason. I didn't play there playing the angels. And then I made my debut against Oakland A's on September 11th. And it was a long game, but it was probably the, the coolest thing, even though no one was there, it was an experience that I'll never forget, especially with COVID, but also from a standpoint of, I got to actually be, in the big leagues and make my debut it's one of those things you can't really take away from somebody yeah and what were your parents saying because obviously like that's a moment that they want to be there for yeah. and they want to actually watch you play in the show like were your were your parents like what the like can we come to the game like how they, was that how was that so bobby wilson actually was trying to convince the rangers to like hey let this kid's family come like they aren't this only one kid gets to debut once and they're like, sorry, with COVID restrictions, we can't do that. And I understood fully, like, the restriction of everything with it coming towards it. So I I text my parents, like, hey, guys, like, you can't come, but I hope you guys are watching, and I love you guys, and I hope you uh, – I hope this is one of the experiences you guys won't forget, even though you're not with me. And they actually left. They're here for – to see me. Like, they're there for, like, four days, and they're like – I have a feeling that you're going to make your debut. You're going to get called up like the day after we leave. I just, we have a feeling and I was like, no way I get called up. And Bobby Wilson tried to sneak them in underneath to like a suite just to like have them there. Cause me and Bobby were sneaking into the suite while the games were run on during COVID to like scout and just do like sky reports and watch over games just to do it. So I thought it was possible, but they, they weren't really okay with it because of COVID, but still like, I got called up this year for uh, Jonah Heim paternity leave. I remember talking to you a little bit when I was in Austin. Yeah. After I did that, and they actually came down. They saw me. It was like the second debut. So my dad, my aunt, my cousin, my girlfriend were here when they did it. So it was it was a cool moment there too, though. It was wild because one thing that not many people like it kind of went under the radar, and you kind of flew under the radar with like that rookie season you had. I believe you hit like three sixty seven. So it's not like you were just in there and you were just kind of filling a spot just to fill a spot. Like you were actually raking where you look when you were in the moment and you get, you were hitting well and you're obviously hitting the ball hard. Were you looking at that? Like, man, like I'm a bit, did you have a chance to kind of step back and be like, I'm actually having success at the big league level. Like what the fuck is going on? I did. And I didn't. Cause I remember talking to you and you know me, I, I barely look at, success in a way because I'm always eager for the next thing that I can get better at and I looked at it and I took it as an opportunity to learn and I also know that it's the big leagues they're going to figure you out and my goal to that was I want to make sure I'm always something I'm doing with ever whatever preparation I'm doing is always something better so whatever I got to do different to make myself a little more advanced to help myself stay there was my goal so I remember I would go to the field and I would do my scouting reports and I would, I knew I was hitting good, but I was, I also took it as like, you know, there's always someone behind me or like, there's something 
behind your shoulder, there's someone coming after you. There's always someone ready behind you. So you got to be doing your stuff and taking care of your business. And I talked to Jeff Mathis about it a little bit and a lot. And even Jose Trevino and I would ask them like, Hey man, like this game's, I know it's all based off of production. Like, what do you, what do you guys do or what did you do to help you cope with it? Cause you know, you're playing good. You don't want to get too high on yourself. And they're like, man, just think about someone's always behind you waiting to take your spot never be satisfied with a little success you want to be great so i mean you know me i've any any chance i get to like kind of critique my game if it's on a mentality standpoint or just like overall catching standpoint i'm gonna try and do it's just wild because like obviously there's so many catchers in that system and all that type of stuff so it's like have you caught yourself being too hard on yourself and thinking like um, if I get out here or if I go over for this game, like I- I'm done or they're going to send me down or stuff like that. Like, what's it like to get out of that mindset? Like, is it hard for you to get out of that mindset with that? I think it's, well, I mean, you know, very well, baseball, like you, you could go crazy for two months of the first start of the season. And then the last four, you're horrible, or you could do horrible for the first two months and you end in three hundreds and you're an all-star at the end of the season. It's, it's very hard, but like it's it is difficult for me now. It's like I'm in a backup role, so it's like I'm not used to playing on a six game road series, two games. I'm not used to that, and it's kind of learning the lay of the land of like when I do get the opportunities, I gotta take advantage of it. I know it's a small window and it's unfortunate, but I have the opportunity to be here and be a good player and help the team win. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do is win. So it. It crosses my mind, but I don't, I'm selfishly trying to like keep it out of my head. And it's more difficult overall because you always want to like help yourself, but also you got to do what's best for you. And I got to go into this because I'm turning into a stack guy now, stack guy Johnny. And looking into a deep dive in your stats and credit to me for fucking looking this up, you've increased the amount of times you swing at a first pitch. Is that something that you've changed? Like, What's the thought process with that? Do you just love taking daddy hacks now? Or is it just like, I'm going to start swinging at these first pitches if they start giving me like fastballs or stuff like that? A, a little bit of both. I mean, if you know the pitcher's a, if he's like a Justin Verlander and he's just going to throw fastballs and his game is to go after you, like Max Scherzer, guys that want to go after you, I mean, the odds of them throwing a fastball are very high because if they're very high probability, they throw 97 to 100. I mean, they're going to give you your best stuff. They're not going to throw you their second best. Now, if they're like a Robbie Ray or like a guy that's more of a field pitcher, that's going to flip stuff over and like a Scooble who's going to like work the counts and like make you get yourself out. That's where you're going to have to understand like what pitcher you're facing and what approach do you want to do for yourself that day? Because there's days where it's like, hey, if I see first pitch fastball, I'm swinging. But it has to be in this like one zone. But if he throws me a first pitch curveball and I know I can hit his get me overs and I'll go after his get me over. But if I know it's more of a he's not landing his off speeds like Liam Hendricks, he attacks you with fastballs, but his off speeds are more strikeouts. So if it's not in the zone, don't swing like it's not going to be in the zone majority of the time because he's going to punch you out with it. So it's it's like it's like the stats of like and I've, I've done my stat research sometimes, too. It's like. I could look at a pitcher and the percentage he throws his curveball in the zone is very low, but he gets a lot of strikeouts with it because it looks like a strike. That's 
his goal, but he throws his fastball in the zone to make you swing because he throws hard. It's it's wild, like, and obviously I'm not a stack. I'm not the brightest of all time. It's just crazy to like look at this shit, and just like see adjustments that like my friends or just friend like guys that have been on this podcast have been making. But you mentioned a lot of these pitchers you've played against, and who's like this year the guy that either caught you off balance the most or was like the hardest to see the ball off of? Because you faced like Noah Syndergaard, you faced, I mean, Paul Seawald, you faced Steve Spencer Strider, who by the way is a freak of nature. This dude, who is like, who's the hardest guy you've played against so far? Is he the guy from Atlanta? Yeah. That throws a hundred mile an hour, just paint like every pitch. I'm pretty sure he was the hardest because they told me, They told me he had a spin rate fastball and I'm like, okay, like that's, that's not bad. (laughs) And they're like, they're like, oh wait, by the way, he throws 98 to hundred. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And I'm like, so it probably feels like 98 to hundred. I get up there, this dude, he, he feels like he's throwing like 103, I swear. And this dude is like pumping heaters. And then all of a sudden he pulls a curveball out of his pocket that's starts at my head. I'm pretty sure. And goes to the bottom of strikes on I take it. And I'm like, this is unfair, dude. This guy is nasty. And I tip my cap. I, I tried to get some swings off. He blew me by with his fastballs, but that dude was nasty. He's dude. I, and I don't know how you guys do this. And listen, I had, maybe you can chime in on this. So I had a debate on my TikTok that, um, there's like these string of fans that are like, if you gave me a hundred at bats in the major leagues, I can get a hit. And I'm like, dude, no, you cannot. Like there's guys that go for over 55 stretches. You cannot like, I promise you average Joe, whatever the fuck your name is. You can't get a hit off a big league pitcher. Like, and people are saying like Zach Ranky or shit like that, dude, you just can't. So, I face Ranky too. He's not easy. Yeah. He's not easy. So do you like, do you notice that massive difference between like 98 and like 101 or 98 and 100? Is it that big of a difference, especially as a big league hitter? I think, and you could probably agree with me, if they can land their off speeds close, you're screwed because they're good. Like, <laughs> like honestly, like if now, like tip your cap, if you get their fastball and they don't make their pitches, their spots are like, they don't hit their spots at all. Like, yeah, that's baseball. You're not going to hit your spots every time and guys are going to get you. But what I've seen is like, Guys that throw hard and they have a certain pitch they might not like correctly throw in the zone and it's never in the zone. If they know you can't throw that pitch in the zone, they're just going to wait for the fastball or they're going to wait for that one pitch that is in the zone and they're just going to hunt you and wait for you. And then once you make the mistake, they usually hit it. And what I notice a lot, because obviously, like I said, I, I keep t- I keep track of my guys. Like I watch her at bats and stuff like that. Because pitchers and the craziest thing is like they can adjust to that shit. Like early in your career, you were getting a lot of fastballs and you were mashing like 360 career hitter. I mean, still your career average is like 289. So you're still doing well, but you're getting a shit ton of off speed now. So like, what is that mindset for you going into an at bat? Are you thinking and obviously we might be given the formula here, but are you thinking off speed or are you still sitting like dead red fastball? Like, how does that work if you know pitchers are starting to come at you with like a, a breaking balls and stuff? I think it's more on the pitcher and if he can execute and also understanding what area it starts in for it to be a strike because say his curveball, if it starts at my head, it's a strike. Like if it looks like it's going to hit me in my like chin, it's probably a strike with his curveball. But 
if he's a spin rate guy and his ball starts at like my chest, middle of my chest, it's a ball. But if it starts at my middle thigh, it's a strike. So it's understanding the pitcher, but also the pitch type. So like, say he's known for, uh, what's his name? Who threw the no-no for the Angels? Uh, Detmers. Reed Detmers. Yeah. yeah. So if Detmers, like, okay, he throws his fastball, like he has arm side miss and he has a little run. And he has a 12-6 curveball that throws once in a while for strikes early to get guys off balance, but it starts over your head and it's like a big 12-6. And then he's got a hard slider and a changeup, but his changeup's like a fade changeup, so it's not gonna like drop. It's just gonna kind of go in. With him, if he's gonna throw you a get me over curveball and you know you can hit it, go after it. But if he if you're gonna take a strike, you're 0-1, and now he's gonna throw a fastball off that up and away, and you better not swing. That is like it's a it's chess, and that's the thing that like that's what why in my opinion it's a hard. Obviously, it's not a crazy hot take. It's the hottest thing. It's the hardest thing to hit a baseball. It's like especially against big league guys. But is there guys, and you don't have to name any names, but is there guys on the team on your team or just that you've played with that are just so effortless with it, like where they don't even they're not taking extra hacks in the cage, they're not overdoing shit, they're not looking at pitching scouting reports. They just wake up, they go to the field, and they fucking rake. Like, how, is there guys like that on your team right now where it's like, this guy does, he, it looks like he doesn't give a fuck, he does, but he just rakes? Yeah. I I mean, we got guys on our team that have played a long time and guys that are, have shown they play a long time and, like, they have, they have the background they do to perform. And I think it's personally, it's, it's whatever. Like there's days where I don't want to hit until game time or like in the cages. If I'm not playing that day, I don't want to hit on the field. I'll just go hit in the cages with Donnie and Tim, our hitting coaches. And I'll just be like, I don't really want to see the field today. I just really want to work on like little stuff. But then there's days where it's like, Hey, I really want to hit on the field. I want to hit early work and I want to hit BP and I'm good. And then I won't hit in the cages. So it's like, it depends. Like there's days where like guys will show up and not, hit it all and then game time they'll take a couple flips and they're good to go well and you got and you mentioned bp i gotta bring this up because you were just in detroit how unbelievably hard is it to launch there like i remember i remember a couple other guys told me it's literally like a graveyard it, nothing goes out there when you no. were in bp were you putting good swings on shit and you were like how is this not a nuke like wh what was that like to hit in comerica just bp P, bp wise it was hard. I I did get one dead center. Wow, really? One. And it was very – it felt lucky, but also it was a really good swing. So I was just more worried about my swing, and I looked up. And you know where the cameras are? Where they? Yes, uh, in the center. I hit, I hit the wood part of that, like the middle, like back part. Holy shit. So I was, I was shocked that I did that. And then I hit one like – I was taking BP. I hit one like 112 or 115, and it barely made it to the track. See that I just like that that it, it just goes to show kind of like how more impressive it is what Miguel Cabrera did what, like what oh. he's doing and what he did because that stadium is a graveyard he and he spent majority of his career hitting there so it's just wild to like look back on that and be like man can you imagine if Miggy played in uh, Yankee Stadium like he would probably have like 900 any, home runs any other stadium that was more hitter friendly or just more true to like both places both sides. He'd be 
no doubt he'd be a 300 every year. Did you get a chance to talk to him? Like, are you one of those guys where it's like you get the clubby or someone to like, can you get Miggy to sign a jersey for me? Because you you might never play against him again, right? Like, yeah. are you one of those guys? So I am, but we play Detroit at home, so I'm going to wait. But I talked to Martin Perez because he's really good friends with Miguel. And I was like, hey, do you think Miggy would like sign a ball for me? And he's like, oh, for sure. Just talk to him, like introduce yourself. I'll introduce you guys. I think he would like you. And I was wow. like, wow. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I don't really want to do it now. Like, I'll wait until home series. I just want to say hello to him. So I was on first base, and he hit a single up the middle, and it was just kind of the co- pitching coach went out and talked to the pitcher, and I was it was first and third. So I was like, oh, perfect opportunity to talk to this dude. So I was like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, hey, man, how are you? And I was like, oh, I'm good. Like, nice swing, man. Like, that was sweet. He's like, thank you, man. How are you doing? I was like, I'm good. Just, you know, playing first base when I'm a catcher. And he's like, Ah, uh, yeah, that's I can see that problem for you. And I was like, no, it's it's I'm getting at bats. He's like, hey, you're right, man. And the inning ended. And then I was catching and the umpire made like a it was a good pitch, but the umpire he made a call and he didn't think it was a strike. And he looked back and was like, That's not a strike. And the umpire was like, Yes, it is. And he looked at me when he was getting baseballs. He was like, Was that a ball? And I kind of went like both ways <laughs> and he he kind of looked at me and was like he looked the umpire this is bs that's not a ball that's not a strike that's a ball and the umpire was like calm down miguel calm down he's like that's stupid and next pitch he had a single up the middle and he like was looking at the umpire like staring him down and i'm looking i'm like oh gosh like so wait wait a second you were you were you catching when aj hinch and him got ejected i don't know if he got ejected but he no, was going i was under him. i was underneath I was literally sitting there. I was like, what's going on outside? Why is everyone out of the bench? And I saw AJ Hinch get pumped. And I was like, holy crap, let me go up. And I go up and all I see is Miguel like screaming at the umpire, calling him like, this is BS. This is dumb. And and I'm sitting here like, oh, wow, I missed a good party here. What's going on? Like, who got ejected? And they thought Grossman did, but Grossman didn't get ejected. And Hinch did because of... uh the umpire's having some issues with like calls that both sides they thought he was he wasn't making the right call and it's baseball like you're gonna have human error but it was just one of those situations and he got got tossed and then later Miguel was getting on him about two pitches about something and the inning ended and like that batter walked and he was screaming wow you got the right call you got the right call <laughs> and everyone's like I mean, no one's saying anything, but I'm sitting here like, oh, yeah, Miguel's uh, Miguel's making some comments over there. And everyone's like, hey, when you're a Hall of Famer or a future Hall of Famer, you can do whatever you want. And you can like, yeah. really you really can. Like you could say whatever the hell you want, dude. And, and and we're talking about legends here, dude. You're playing with a guy. I guess he has a soft spot in my heart. Not anymore. I guess public enemy number one now. But Marcus Simeon, I got to know, because I've obviously I, I know a lot of guys on the Jays that played with him. They say he's like a he puts his head down and just gets to work. Not really a big locker room guy in terms of like chatting it up, talking it up with the boys all the time. What has your experience been like right now? Because obviously you're a show guy. Is that good? And you're playing with Marcus Simeon. So what has it been like playing alongside this dude? I love Marcus. So it was weird because I I talked to Marcus when he made his debut. My I made my debut in Oakland against Oakland, and he said hello to me. He was like the second guy, him and La, La Stella. Yeah. They said like, congrats on your debut. And I was like, Oh, how'd you guys know? 
And they're like, we saw the scouring, we saw the uh, report and they said that you're making your debut, man. That's awesome. And so we get him. and I was curious. I was like, I hope he remembers me. Like, that'd be cool. And he said like the first day of spring, he's like, Sam, how you been, man? And I looked down, I was like, Oh, what's up, Marcus? Good to see you, man. And I was kind of like starstruck. I was like, Oh, he, he remembers me, I guess. And so like closer to the end of spring, I have him like, like solo. And I'm like, Hey, Marcus, like, just want to introduce myself again. Cause I didn't see him half the time. I was like, I'm Sam. Like, I don't think you remember. He's like, I remember you, man. You debuted when I played against you. And I was like, wow. Oh yeah. Thank Yeah. Thank you. He's like, yeah, man, I know you are. We're teammates, man. And he walked away and I came up and Marcus is a really serious guy, but he's serious to his, his training and everything he does preparation wise. He kind of has taught me like how to preparate and do everything I need to do from a standpoint of being a player. And I follow him. I follow Corey. And I mean, I follow half that team. Like they're all a lot of veterans that you can learn from. And Marcus is very cool because he's, we talk every day. He's nice. He's calm. He's really outgoing. He's a, he's a good dude and he's a good teammate. Like he puts himself out there. He busts his butt. He works hard. And I think he's doing everything he needs to do to play. And I respect him for that. Yeah, it is wild because he's had a, such such a crazy turnaround because he was struggling, obviously, at the start of the year, and now he's just absolutely raking. So it is – I mean, it goes to show you, like, the amount of work he does put in. But Corey Seager, man, I mean, I got to talk about Corey Seager because, obviously, very good-looking dude. The guy's rich as fuck. He's loaded right now. Do you notice an increase in the female population when Corey Seager's on the – at shortstop because this dude is just so impressive i think there's like women fan pages of him on tiktok and shit he's wild <laughs> i i don't ever see those like i i hang out with Corey at the field and i was just at uh i was just at his place where my dog was there and he was we were just kind of hanging out and i mean Corey is a very serious dude but he also is the same way as marcus he he comes in he gets his work in he he takes care of his business. He doesn't really, he doesn't really talk to a lot of people. He's very like, he talks to people, but he doesn't, he doesn't go out of his way of like what he's doing routine wise and regiment. And Corey's really fun to watch play. I mean, it's unfortunate, like how the start has been, but they're really good players like him and Marcus. And you watch them, you watch them do their routines. They never change anything up. They're always the same. They do exactly what they do every day and it never regardless if they're playing good or not. And if we're as a team not doing good, they still hold their ground and they keep, they hold us accountable as players. And like, they, they hold me accountable in a sense of like, they hold me to a high standard, but it's like, I, I accept it because I want to be that person for them. I want to help them out and help the team win. And being that guy, I mean, we got to talk about the show here. I'm a, you know, this is an off field podcast. So you go from triple a or double a to the show just explain one thing of the off-field stuff that many people don't know about that's so great about the show. Like, the hotels, the meals. Like, what's one thing where it's like, I'm staying at the fucking Ritz-Carlton right now for free, <laughs> and I'm getting paid to be here. Like, what's one thing that you could give the listeners a little inside scoop on what life is like off the field in the show? I think it's the... I think it's the privilege of going to different cities and experiencing 
different environments, different fields, different people, different land of play of how things really are. Because like, say we, we, we went to LA and LA fans, they're good fans, but they're like, they get into it and then they're not really watching. And then you go to like the White Sox and everyone's involved. Like they know exactly what's going on. They know every play. Like go to Detroit, you got a good amount of fans, but not a lot of people were coming because of we we're during the week. But like overall, it's the ability to go to different cities and play in different places and get to see stadiums that you've watched on TV or you always wanted to see your whole life. And and I think that's pretty special because not a lot of people get to go to like Detroit. No one gets to go to Boston unless you're from Boston or you don't get to go to Wrigley or Chicago, the White Sox. Like you don't get to go to places that a lot of people are capable of doing or going because, you know, like, if we ever go to Toronto, I'm going to be thankful because I've always wanted to go play in Toronto. I heard it's cool. Yeah, that's what everyone says, dude. Every single guy that comes on this podcast says that's their favorite place to visit. So what has been your kind of favorite place so far? Like, what's your, like, go-to spot or just, like, best food off the field? Like, what's your favorite spot right now? I like Chicago, the White Sox. They have a lot of good Italian food, deep dish, good pizza. Just overall, I didn't – the city was a little too fast for me, but – off like 20 minutes off the city it's so nice it's very relaxed laid back i thought it was really fun chicago's nice i heard chicago's unreal but you i mean yeah it's like i heard in detroit i think lupo told me this in detroit you guys stay like 30 minutes away from the field is that true 45 we're like an hour away really where do they have what's that city they have you in what's do you know what the name of it is no, I don't know. It's because I, I'm thinking about going to see Musgrove in July, but there's not really a point if, if he's staying an hour away from where the fucking field is. So, like, when you guys left the field, it's like team bus, and you got to wait an hour to, like, go back to your hotel? So, yeah. So, like, they had, like, three different buses, but there was, like, a staff bus, our bus, and then one more bus. And then – so, the, the, the first player bus would be, like, one. But if I had early work at, say – 1 30 or 2 30 i can't go on the one o'clock bus because i'd be late so i go on the staff bus and it was a good 45 minutes away 30 35 jesus like with traffic it's 40 with no traffic it would probably be 35 that's wild so what's like so obviously we're talking about the what's the best hotel or the, the best city you say like the best hotel you've been at so far like one where it's like if this was in triple a i would have never leave triple a Houston. Really? Weirdly enough, they put us in a really good um, resort or uh, hotel. It's really good. How it's, a that, right how, of, it's, it's right above like a Rolls Royce dealership. Like it's a very. Jesus. Yeah. That's it's a really, crazy. It's really expensive cars around. It's an expensive area. So it was, I thought it was dope. I thought it was cool to go. Like that was where I actually was my first road trip was Houston. And we went back to the same hotel because, like, that's the more of the nicer ones. And it was sweet. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Dude, that's sick. That's unbelievable. Like, so what, what? what fans are the wildest with autograph like autograph merchants so far like when they're waiting outside your hotel on away games or they're like at the game for bp like the full down the line shit what has it been what's been the craziest so far for you because obviously like a big time prospect like you i'm sure you have the autograph seekers with the fucking 30 cards of you asking to get signed and stuff like that what's it what's the craziest part I don't ever assume that, but it does surprise me sometimes when I do see people asking me because, like, we have Corey and Marcus, and we have a, a lot of big-time guys. So I'm like, oh, they're probably asking for them, and they ask me sometimes, and I'm like, oh, wow, you you want me instead of Corey? I would totally reconsider that, but that's fine. And so I think Chicago was the craziest because they would wait outside our hotel and in – Oakland when we played the A's we stayed in San Francisco they were waiting outside our hotels too so I think those two places were like the craziest fans because they would literally wait right by our bus like just like hounding us with like asking autographs and it's it's like we we didn't really want to like say no but also we had some COVID issues during Chicago so we couldn't really sign anybody, but it was, it's kind of interesting. And Chicago lets their fans in earlier when we're hitting BP. So it gives you that big league environment. So it's, it's kind of cool. I like it. It's just, I, I hate the autograph seekers. I hate Zach Hample. That's a known thing on this podcast that I hate those dudes. So it is great. Do those guys ever usually sign though? Like Simeon and Seeger? Like, are they well, good with their time and stuff? Yeah. Corey, I saw Corey randomly. I was like, it was like really early in the morning. Um, like two days ago, we were in Detroit and I was like half asleep and I just see Corey walk up to these like three dudes waiting there and he signs a couple photos and then gets on the bus. Wow, that's unreal, dude. I love the whole bus thing for you guys. Like they just have three buses for you. It's just crazy. Like you don't really have a designated time to get on the bus. There's just three that you could yeah. make. It's the yeah. most show thing of all time. They, uh, we have a staff bus and then off when we get off the plane, after we fly in, we have a staff and then a team bus. So it's usually everyone on the team bus is just players and then the staff is in their bus. So we can kind of like relax and like, let us do our thing. What are you guys doing on the plane? Like, are you guys car? Is there card guys on the plane? Like, wh- 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 cause obviously I, I, I'm Canadian. So I know more about the hockey stories about the planes and shit like that, like $10,000 card games, but <laughs> Are the boys firing card games on the plane uh, they just to kind of kill time? They are in the back. I never go back there because I don't really want to try and play cards. But there's – I don't know. Sometimes half the guys – there's a new group every time I go back there. But we have groups that go back there and it rotates and there's different guys that go back there. But we usually have card guys, designated card guys, and then we have guys that are just shooting – shooting it and drinking alcohol and like talking about baseball and then you got guys in the way front there just watching podcasts and listening to like music or watching tv 
Like so which guy are you? Like, are, are, will you have a couple beers after a game to relax? Like, what type of guy are you? I've been, because I'm kind of like trying to establish myself, I've been very calm and laid back and just trying to keep my head down, play baseball. But there are days where it's like, I'll have a beer, I'll I'll hang out, but it's usually if we have an off day. So That's like, so sick. So we had an off day in LA and we we're flying from Oakland, maybe. And we flew in and I had a beer too. And then we just kind of hung out and we had the off day and I relaxed, had fun, hung out with uh, the guys. And then we played the next day, but it's usually, it's like when we have, when I know we have an off day, I usually will just have a beer, but it's like, I'm not really a big drinker anyway. So I'll like sit there and like listen to stories Garrett Richards will talk about or like guys that have played a long time, like Cole Calhoun. I'm really good friends with Cole. And wow I've, i love I've, cole calhoun so i've known cole since i was a sophomore in high school what he, yeah so him and i worked out at the same gym i introduced myself when he was with la and he came up to me because i was working out early because I, I worked out before i went to the field usually or to high school and so he came up to me he's like what's your name and i was like sam he's like okay and he walks away and I knew who he was. So I wasn't going to even ask him. I was just like, yeah, I'm Sam. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And he walked away. And so like, I think it was 2016 off season when I, after I got drafted, he saw me again and I was working out at 7 AM and he moved his times back to like 8 30 ish, eight. Yeah. Nine ish. And I finished around nine and he would always come in like at eight 30 kind of chill until like yeah. nine, nine, nine 30, he'd start get going. And he started talking to me a little bit. And he would always ask me like, what, what are you doing, buddy? And I'm like, Hey, Mr. Calhoun. And he was like, don't call me Mr. Call me Cole. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right, you got it. And so next thing I know, he was in one of my groups once. And that was when Howie Kendrick and Daniel Nava were there too. And they got to know me a little bit and they started coming in with me. And I thought I was in the wrong because I'm still based. I base myself off of like old time veterans. Like if you're in their group, you got to leave because you're in their way. Like it's yeah. not, it's not a, a factor of like, they don't respect you. It's like, you need to respect the elder of like baseball. Like they have more years than you. You have to be the rookie. And so I learned at a young age being with all these guys, I worked out with Garrett Richards, Matt Moore, Cole, Alex Cobb, Merrill Kelly, Daniel Nava, Howie Kendrick, cj crone and like there's a few others that came through like brett wallace that were just part-time guys that i was getting at the end of their career and i had all these guys when i'd working out with my buddies and we would work out with them sometimes like gary richards i worked out with when he was rehabbing from tj when he was at the padres or yeah the padres and i mean i've known them all since i was like a high schooler and they give me so much crap and cole is like my dad he literally holds me accountable like makes fun of me makes sure that i feel like i'm nothing and i have to work for everything <laughs> like he is holding me accountable and like having garrett i caught him when i was in high school i caught matt moore when he was in high school when i was in high school so i've caught these guys prior to like before they became a veteran type player so to have the ability to work with them before and have a relationship already, it, it's a lot more fun because they always come to me because they don't really know a lot of the guys yet as much as like they would. 
but they're everyone's starting to kind of like get to know each other and it's fun like i i have a great time i have a great time with this group and it's definitely a lot more cooler to have the the guys that are older kind of come at me and because they like me and i think they like me sometimes but they they make fun of me they make me work for what i need to work for that's fucking electric what i also wanted to bring up is the 500 foot home runs and i'd be pissed off at myself if i didn't talk about that at least once so you've you've turned into like an internet phenom because honestly man i'm almost positive you were like legit trending uh in canada for some for i think i'm trying to think what home run it was but I think it was the one you hit to like left center that went over that scoreboard. I don't know if that's the exact one, but you have, oh. you have multiple home runs that are over 500 feet. So describe that feeling to the common man, like myself, the common listener who has no idea what it's like to do that. What is it? What is it like hitting a 500 foot home run? At the time when you're running around the bases, you don't really probably understand what's going on. But I think the first the first 500 foot home run when I did in Arizona that everyone doesn't talk about for some reason because it was in Arizona I wasn't in a real affiliate baseball. Yeah. But I hit 511 and I didn't really know it was 511. But the dude threw me like a two one fastball and I hit it and I just kind of was like running around the bases and I was rehabbing for my knee. So it was the first time I actually hit a home run and I was very like I was trying to figure out what was going on still. Cause I was coming back from my knee injury and I was like hoping that I was the same player. Cause after injuries are de- definitely difficult because you have to get yourself back to that point. And the dude came over. He was like, dude, do you know how far you hit that? And I was, I was like, I don't know. I, it went over the fence, didn't it? And they're like, dude, you hit that five eleven. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, and they're like, have you ever hit a 500 foot home run? And I was like, no, do I look like I would care if I did? Like, I'm just trying to play baseball. I was coming back from an injury too. I was just trying to be healthy. Yeah. And so that hit the internet pretty quick. And then the one against Frios in double A, I were facing Amarillo, which was the D-backs double A. And this, this dude is nasty. Uh, Frios is his last name. He's like 98 to 100 sinker balls when he's got all his pitches in the zone. And so I was I was not having a good game. I was like 0 for 3 with two punchies and a ground out, I think. It's probably what it was. But he threw me a 2-0 fastball inside. And you could tell I was literally cheating for a fastball. And I got it. And so there's a – in Frisco, there's an apartment complex with a road on the other side of the road is the apartment complex. I hit the apartment complex from where I was at and that went 502. And so I didn't think of anything and we had StatCast in our, our dugout just because yeah. like, they want to see like pitches and they also want to see how hard guys are hitting baseballs just to like help us out. Like, oh, just because you got out, you still hit it X, Y, Z. Like you're fine. So I came in and I was... I was hyped because I was like, I finally hit him. Like, I finally got a home run off this dude. Like, let's go. And next thing I know, everyone's like, dude, you know how you hit, how far you hit that one? And I was like, no, dude. Do I look like I'm a genius? Do I know what is going on every pitch? And they're like, you hit that 502. Jesus and I, Christ. I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, you just hit 500 foot home runs now. You don't even need your knees. You need your, you have upper half strength. And I was like, 
was like, dude, I need my knee to be healthy. And I'm coming back from my injury still. So I'm like, I mean, it's showing even though I punched out half the time, but I was like, Hey, let's, that's fine. And so this next one was this year, it was in round rock and we're facing the isotopes, the Rockies triple a. Yeah. And it's a day game and everyone hates day games if you're in Austin, cause it's hot. And so luckily it was still early in the season. So it was kind of cool. And so, I think it was this dude was they came up to me and they're like, he's a fastball slider guy. He throws a hundred mile an hour. So be ready for the fastball. And I'm thinking, oh great, this dude throws a hundred miles an hour. I get to face another dude that throws gas. That's just perfect for me. So and I'm being sarcastic because I really it's very hard to hit baseballs that are very hard. And like no one understands how hard hundred mile an hour is and yeah from a standpoint of a guy say he's like six five but he has seven foot extension it's a lot of like variables that play into like that feels way harder than 100 miles an hour so the dude it was and it was during the pitch clock thing where like if you don't throw it in like 10 seconds like it's a ball so the dude was like shaking and they told me if they if it goes past the time that you're in the box, don't get out of the box. Cause then they'll call time. And that's one of your like timeouts. So it got to like two seconds. The pitcher stepped off, but the time kept going. Cause I stayed in the box and I was like, like looking at everyone, like what's going on. So the umpire was like time. That's an illegal pitch ball one. So I'm like one up. I'm like, perfect. Here comes a fastball. So sure enough, this dude throws a fastball and I hit it. And I, it, I thought it was really high. I thought it was just one of those high home runs. Cause when I looked up, I didn't know it hit like the top part of the scoreboard. It, I thought it just landed in front of the scoreboard and was in the bullpen. I was like, okay, thank. I didn't pimp it that much. I'm good. I didn't pimp it that bad. And so I get into the to the dugout and everyone's like, dude, you hit that 504. And I was like, oh what? my God. I was like, you're joking. And they're like, no, Stackhouse said you hit 504 without wind. And I was like, oh. And I broke the apparently broke one of the panels of the screens on the <laughs> the scoreboard. So I I was like the one of the GMs comes up to me. He's like, "You're gonna have to pay for that screen." You know that? And I was like, "Oh, really? How much is it?" It's like twenty grand. And I was like, "Oh huh. my god!" I was like, "No way, dude! I'm not paying for that." He's like, "I'm just kidding." That is so electric. I you might be some of the like the only human beings on the planet that can be able to hit that ball. I mean, Bryce Harper back in the day used to do that. Like it was nothing too when he was in high school and shit, but it is wild. Like do other like guys, when you were in the minor leagues, would they come up to you and be like, you're the guy that hit that ball 500 feet. Like, it, are you known as that dude when you were in the minors? <laughs> I did a little bit when I was trained at uh, Trevor Bowers place, I was working out there a little bit. And then the guys that I met there, they'd come up to me and be like, Oh, well, my name's so-and-so. I'm like, oh, I'm Sam. I'm like, Sam Huff? And I was like, yeah, how do you know me? Oh, you hit the 500-foot home run. And I was like, yeah, I did. Um, I am also a kid from Arizona. We don't need to talk about that because I don't <laughs> want to talk about it because it's just like it happened. It's it's baseball. You know you're going to strike out, and then, yeah, you're going to hit a home run, but it doesn't matter how far it goes. And and I, you know me, I'm very humble of how I want to approach things, and I don't want to yeah. show off. Like, oh, I hit 500-foot home runs. Like, what do you guys do? It's like, no, like, I play baseball. That's my passion. But it's also – it's cool to play the game and be lucky enough to play it. Also, it is different to see people hit 500-foot home runs. For sure. 
for sure. I mean, I, and credit to you because I would be the cockiest piece of shit if I was hitting balls 500 feet. Right. I, 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 I just plain and simple. Like, I and really that, just, I would be. That's what Eric Sim told me. He's like, I'd be so cocky if I were you. And I was like, well, Eric, that's why you are cocky and I'm not. So. <laughs> yeah, Sim's my guy, man. Longtime friend of the show. I think he was on episode three of this podcast. So he's been, uh, he's been a long time guy, but playing in Texas. So uh, you guys play Bryson this week, by the way. Have you, yes, uh, I, is he here I, right now? I literally texted him yesterday. I was like, you in the, you in Texas? He's like, yes, sir. Just got here. I was like, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't big league me. <laughs> well, he's hitting walk off home runs now. I know. He's no stride walk off home runs, just little out front home runs. For it's him. wild. I, I will never understand how some of you guys do that shit. Like he, he hits home runs with like a two strike approach, no leg kick, just literally just gets the bat head out and just launches a baseball in the orb. It's wild. Him and Bryce Harper do that. It's crazy. And it's, it's fun. I, I love Bryce and he, I got to know him a little bit from uh, our buddy's wedding and talking to you a little bit and just kind of like getting to know him a little bit off the field. He's an awesome dude. So it, I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to talk to him a little bit, see how he's doing and just kind of just see him play. I haven't seen him play since the fall league. And that was before he, uh, he went off and he started going off there and, you know, baseball is baseball. You're going to have some down games. You're going to have down weeks, months, and, it just matters how about you, how well you come back that next day and play. For sure, for sure. And let's go into the rest of the season here. Obviously, like I said, um, credit to me for doing the research. You're getting a shit ton of sliders. Are you just going to turn into the fucking slider man and just start absolutely shitting on sliders now? Like, what's the deal with that? That's that's something we're going to have to see because I do see a lot of them. But I think it's just understanding where they start and where they finish. I think it really does depend on if he throws the percentage of how many times he throws a first strike versus how he doesn't with runners in scoring position is different. So like, say he throws me a oh slider and I take it like, that's my one pitch. I might get that hole at bat. So understanding that, okay, if he throws me an oh slider that I can hit the other way for a double or single, I'm going to do that. I was thinking about this the other day. Cause I didn't re I, when I met you, I obviously didn't realize how fucking big you are, like how tall you are, like how big you are. Is that something that makes it difficult for you to kind of go out in public or people are always like to you, like this guy has to be doing something because I mean, let's, let's go into it here. You are, where's, where's, where's the bio here? How do I not have this? Well, <laughs> go into your height and weight. What? Are, oh yeah. You are six foot five, 240 fucking pounds. So is that, do people look at you in public and like this dude like has to play a professional sport? So the, I, they do. And, but I mess with them a little bit. I tell them I play like basketball or hockey just to be funny. <laughs> Cause like people will be like, Hey man, like, do you play a sport? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Oh, what do you do? And I was like, Oh, I play hockey. Hockey's a good one. Hockey's I a like good hockey. one. It's easy to it's easy to get off, and I I've watched it enough. I've followed it the last five years that I can kind of get some good slang thrown words out, saying like, "Yeah, I play play defense, but I, I don't really. I'm more of an enforcer. I'm not really a, a scorer. I just you're hitting they, it. Yeah, if they hit my buddy, I'm gonna go after them and do my job. You know, that's good. I love that. I love you and just embracing hockey culture, especially being a guy like obviously from Arizona. Hockey's not a thing. It's starting to grow there, which is massive, but it's not a massive thing there. And also, dude, that home run you hit this year against Jeffrey Springs, how good, how good did it feel to hit a home run and like just hit a home run in the big leagues? Because 
obviously it was all over the internet. I'm not quite sure if that was your first one though, right? Was that it, not- it was my first one in the big leagues and that's why it's been it's been weird for me because I haven't had a lot of home runs this this go around because you're a singles been, guy. You're a singles yeah. guy. Yeah, just hitting. <laughs> I'm hitting little uh, shooters backside and trying to get on. That's my goal. It's electric. I mean, and and listen, that home run and that's why I can like for the people listening, like that's why in my opinion, I'm not pumping your brakes. You're my guy, but you're a fucking unreal hitter because you can also you could do both, right? I mean, you're 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 launching singles 112 off the bat, Oppo. And then you're also hitting nukes to deep left off Jeffrey Springs into the second deck. Like it's just a wild mix that you have here. You, uh, what? So right now you have four. While we're recording, you have four big league home runs. What is your favorite big league home run so far? I think it'd be the first one in LA. I was. That's why I love LA a little bit too, because of I had my first home run. It was a day game. And I hit it left center and I was like, I tell, I told to like a couple interviews. I was like, yeah, I think it was so special. Cause I saw Mike Trout looking at the ball go over the fence. And wow. You can, you can see me in the video. I like double take. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's Mike Trout and there's my ball. So it was, it was very special for me. And it was kind of cool going back there every year, every chance we go there. I think about that and just kind of like the experience I had there. And I mean, dude, you, you have a multi home run game. Like you have game, you have a game where you've hit two home runs. So, I mean, the fact that you didn't say that is your favorite one is wild to me, but you got to tip your, or is that, no, that's not, that, that's it's, it is, but it like, it's like your first, perf- it's like getting whatever, like you think is special to you. And it's very small, but it's something that goes a long way because not a lot of people get to hit home runs or go play baseball or do something special in their own mind it's very, it's very missed in a spectrum of, you know, like that was very special. I know no one was there when I did it, but it also was kind of cool. Cause I got to experience it. And then my teammates did, cause they understand like baseball is baseball. You're going to have ups and downs, but how, how small can you make those valleys and how high can you make those peaks is yeah. like what you want. I never wanted to like over, I didn't want to like over like, hype up myself like oh, i hit two home runs in one game or i hit 500 foot home runs it's like yeah I, that's a privilege to do that but also you gotta understand you gotta hit the ball so and that goes back to like you tell me i'm a singles guy like that's genuinely how i feel if i can <laughs> if i can get on more and cut down strikeouts and get walks or just get on more like hitting i think that's awesome because like dj mayhew paul goldschmidt so underrated under radar players they are more looked upon as better players now because people see how good they are but they they finish every year in the 300 290s area with like 15 to 20 a year and goldsmith special man so special i think arizona people like forgot how special he was so special dude so so second last thing i want to talk about so in my opinion and i might get roasted on for for saying this the Texas Rangers have some of the best string of jerseys in baseball. And that's not even like me being crazy. Like that alternate jersey you have that says like Rangers in red and there's no buttons. That jersey is absolutely dynamite. The oh, red that- jersey is dynamite. The powder blue is just electric. What is your top three Rangers jerseys that where you feel it is like, all right, I'm like a whatever. And now this increased my looks maybe by two, by two notches. You're like, what's your top three? I would have to say 
our away blues, the Texas. Yeah. Because we used to have – that used to be the jerseys of all of them. It was just Texas in white, red, and blue, and gray. So I like the blues, I like the reds, and I like baby blues. I really like all that in order personally because I had my first hit in my red jersey. Yeah. And and I had my first home run in my blue, but the baby blues are just really cool, I think. Yeah. I, and we got to work, and this is the last thing I want to bring up here. We got to work on a pimp job for you because obviously, and the crazy thing about you is, is like, you don't ever, ever hit fucking wall scrapers. Like when you hit a nuke, it's gone right off the bat. So everyone in the ballpark knows what we're, it's gone. So what have you started to try to implement like a potential, not a pimp job. I'm not saying crazy shit. I'm saying like a bat drop, maybe like a hold your finish, then drop the bat. Like, are we going to implement something now? Because you, you have four home runs under your belt. And they're all no doubters. So we got to implement something that kind of lets the people know, like, that's the Sam Huff right there. I know you know me and you know, I'm very subtle in how I do my stuff, but I mean, I'll work on it. I just, you know, I get so self-conscious because I was raised in the mentality of like, if you do that, you're going to get ripped with a ball in your rib. Like That's fine. OBP, bring the OBP up. Yeah. And so I started doing it a little more. I know you saw it on the the last home run, the 502 yes. one. You saw me bat flip that. That was a privilege to do it because I didn't – no one knew that was coming back, but it was like, okay, like I'll feel myself a little bit, but like I don't want to like overstep the boundaries of the baseball gods because they do have a say in how you play, I think, sometimes because it's baseball. But I've started to – kind of trot a little less when I leave the box and stare at it but also I still have that thought in my head like oh if this doesn't go out you're gonna look really bad if you do that (laughs) that would be embarrassing I'll be fighting the fight for you on Twitter though if you have to if people are starting to roast you for that and actually this is kind of the last thing because I'm a first baseman. Some may say I'm one of the best defensive first baseman in JUCO history because I used to pick balls like it was fucking nothing at first what has been the toughest part for you at first base? Is it the the early stretch where you like understanding when, when do I stretch? When do I do this? When do I do that? Like what's been the hardest adjustment for you? I think the thought of Shohei Otani coming up and hitting a 110 off my shin. <laughs> if that was ever like a thought. That dude, if I think it's the scariest thing. Because I'll you I'm a catcher, I'll block it. I don't care. I'll stretch, I'll I'll get dirty. But the thought of even somebody like Shohei Otani, some kind of big left-handed bat, like Bryson, if I were to play the – if we're or Harper first. Yeah, Harper. If I'm playing first and Bryson or Harper yank a ball and it's like a, a yank, like a 110 off the bat, I ain't catching it. It's going to be very hard for me because it's just the thought of that ball and it's like the – you get into that like middle part of like, okay, do I catch this or do I block it or do I – like what do I you gotta do? You got to go into catcher mode. I say you just yeah. go into catcher mode. Just go on your knees and just like block it. Like that's There's, what you have to do. It's 365 days until hockey season. That's what I think. That's what it's, you have to do. It, yeah. It, it's – um, I – this is why I will never be in the show, obviously. I can't imagine seeing a Shohei Otani line drive coming right at your fucking thigh or just your like – just your like, like chest and just be that cool middle part yeah the like it's like it's in the middle of your belt and like your thighs and it's just knuckling down it's like holy crap what do i do with this right now like do i block this or do i just try and swat it down because this is gonna hurt 
it's um it, it, it's it, it's it's something that many people will never experience maybe on a foul ball or some shit like that but yeah it, it, it's uh it, it's just crazy i i genuinely don't know how people do it and there's guys that have been at first base their whole career like the miggy tight where they're just experiencing that or or the hawk corner or third base but it is it, it's just insane so i'm pumped for you man i mean obviously like you're you, they're starting to they're starting to like tr- they're starting to force you into the lineup because obviously your bat's been so good where they're going to be like, all right, let's play on first DH catcher, all that type of shit. So it's just electric to see. Um, and we'll work on the pimp job. We'll, we'll figure something out with that, but <laughs> I am pumped for you, man. Um, keep doing your thing, bro. I, do you know if you're going to be playing this week? Like what days you're playing this week? Like, is that a predetermined thing or no? He texts Woody usually texts us and lets us know, but I'm hoping I can play against uh, Bryce and the Phillies this week. But if not, I can always play against the nationals. Yeah. And hopefully it's against Patrick Corbin. I'm not going to say yeah. it. I'm not, you're not going to say it, but I'm going to say it because that guy just throws absolute cock shots and there's going to be a pimp job potentially incoming from you. So you just love <laughs> to see it. But uh, anyways, man, uh, it's obviously we had to get you back on long overdue. I don't even remember the last time you had you on. I think it was like two years ago. Just crazy yeah. to see like how far you've come. Obviously, big time guy now, like show guy staying at these nice hotels, team buses, unreal meals. It just It's crazy to see. And obviously, you're not going to be playing near me anytime soon. So you just hate to see. I might have to order a Sam Huff jersey, put on the podcast wall. We'll figure that out. But I don't know. I don't know why you just don't come visit or in like Texas, dude. I, I will. You know what? I will. I'm going to try to come down in August then. So because okay. it, it, obviously, like the, the thing that's been fucked for me is I've been doing all these like vlogs for the podcast mm-hmm. and uh the fucking airbnbs and the hotel like it just oh, yeah. it costs like seven six hundred dollars for five days it's like i'm not especially with a canadian transfer like the the difference in the exchange rate it's like no fucking chance so yeah. i'll figure something i'll do a little sam huff visit sam huff vlog maybe when you're in new york um i'll drive yeah. down which is not that far from me but um we'll figure something out man keep doing your thing and uh, let's let let's let's keep fucking rolling here. Let's keep hitting the ball hard, and maybe let, let's turn on some slider pieces here, slider man. Let's do it then. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at a fish on a fish pod, and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Mm-hmm.